Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. Welcome in to another episode of The Tool Shed. This is episode 169 of The Tool Shed with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross, and with me, as usual, is my 80-grade co-host, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, you ready to dive into the hot corner today? Do it. New year. I'm excited. Again, we're hoping for really big things this year with the podcast, so thank you for tuning in with us as we continue our Dynasty Rankings. As we, like you said, at the hot corner, there's a ton of talent over here, a lot of high-end talent too, and prospects that are on the way. So yeah, let's break it all down and looking forward to this episode and all the ones to come in 2023. It's going to be an awesome year and very much looking forward to doing it with you. As am I, sir. As am I. Yeah, this is, you know, the hot corner. Everyone calls their base the hot corner, but after the first like dozen or so, it becomes more like the lukewarm corner because <laughs> yeah. there's there's a massive massive drop off. Like we have this same top twelve, a little bit different, but same twelve in general. Then it's like a massive drop to like thirteen and beyond. So it gets pretty lukewarm pretty quickly. But the top of these rankings are definitely very fun to talk about, and we will get into that. But before we do, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross 04, and the show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Make sure to check out our Patreon for extra content, private Discord access, live rankings, and more, and our YouTube channel for plenty of video throughout the offseason and into 2023. Lastly, make sure to check out all the great stuff that Fantrax and Fantrax HQ have to offer. 2023 Fantasy Baseball Leagues are already open, all of them classic drafts, best balls, draft and holds, the whole shebang. They're all open right now. You can get your fantasy baseball fix in right now and our 2023 fantasy baseball draft kick kicks off this week as well we'll have consensus staff rankings you know prospect and dynasty stuff obviously you know sleepers bus strategy mock drafts everything you want so make sure to check that out as well all right let's get into it here same kind of thing as before prospects first half of the show mlb dynasty on the second half of the show let's kick things off with our top 10 Prospect rankings, Chris, who you got? So with the top 10 prospects, a lot of talent up at the top for sure, With starting with Gunnar Henderson, then Jordan Walker, Ellie De La Cruz, Miguel Vargas, and Josh Young round out the fifth spot. And then six through 10 is Curtis Mead, Brett Beatty, Jordan Westberg, Cam Collier, and Kobe Mayo. For me, I have same exact top six. 
which is Gunner, Walker, Ellie De La Cruz, Vargas, Josh Young, and Curtis Mead. It's in, in then 7 through 10. Christian Encarnacion Strand, who I love. Jordan Westberg, Brett Beatty, and Cam Collier. It's funny, too. Like We were talking before we kind of started recording here that some of these guys are probably going to move off the position. Like, Gunner probably is shortstop long-term. Walker probably outfield. Ellie, who knows? He could be short, could be third. Vargas, you know, looks like he's staying. Young probably staying. Meade, who knows, with Tampa Bay. Could be some second, could be some third. Encarnacion Strand probably is first base. Westberg could be second, third, or short, really. Beatty, who's, he might be traded because of you know, if the you know Correa thing does finally go through, you know, where does he fit in? And then Collier, you know, again, there's so many for the Reds, they have so many on the left side of that infield. And one that we didn't even have on here that probably will go on to this list soon is Noelvi Marte because he didn't play any third base during the minor league season last year, but played exclusively at the hot corner during the Arizona Fall League and is with his builds, probably that's where he ends up, or maybe even first or corner outfield, but probably a shortstop. So he's another one that we, we could put on here. But yeah, I, I think Gunner's shortstop long term. Walker is outfield. And then I think Ellie's the first one that I'm like, all right, there's a fifty plus percent chance he sticks at shortstop. But again, so many players there, but a lot of good talent here. I mean, I love this top ten. I really do. Like I said, I'm higher than most on Encarnacion Strands. So I have him at seven, but you, you know, you're not too far lower. You have him at eleven. Not be a spoiler alert here, but all these guys, like I have about, I think my top fourteen are all in my top one hundred overall. So a lot of fun talent here. Yeah, I agree, and there's certainly a chance that you know some shortstops move off, and the position does get better. So right now, it does feel kind of shallow at the MLB level. So that could improve. Like, and that's the cool thing is that this position could only get better for fantasy purposes. But yeah, I think it's pretty deep. And I I'm think I'm in a pretty similar spot as you where I would have, I think Colt, Colt Keith would be the last one I have in the top 100. So that's 13 players for me in the top 100 overall at the position. So got to love the potential for all these players coming up. And I mean, most of them, I feel like, will be third baseman mentioned gunner i think he's more of a shortstop long term walker's gonna play a corner outfield spot because there's just nowhere from the play in st louis but there's a strong chance that ellie does play third i mean there's a strong chance he sticks it short too he's very good and athletic for a shortstop but he could go either way i think vargas is a third baseman through and through as well as young Meade probably gets most of his reps there Beatty, who knows like they may trade him they, that'd be the best thing if they traded him I don't know how I feel about him in an outfield spot, but <laughs> we'll see. Westbrook's going to get third base eligibility. Cam Collier's a third baseman. Kobe Mayo's a third baseman. Encarnacion Strand, third, first. It's just a good grouping for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, w- with Walker, I wonder, do you like him, you know, how much further down your rankings does he fall, if anything at all, moving to the outfield? I mean, obviously, we... we would like his stats more at third, but I don't ding him at all as, as you know, more of an outfielder because he's still going to be an absolute stud. You know, we've talked about him, you know, ad nauseum on this podcast, power, speed, you know, feel for hitting, all of that, where I think he could still be, even as an outfielder, this could be a guy that makes it up to the top 10, you know, outfielders at some point. And 
I think he's up fairly early. Do I think he's up opening day? Probably not. But, you know, start him out at AAA. You know, he tears it up in April, May. I think I think he's probably up before Memorial Day, if I had to guess. But, yeah, I don't care where Walker is. Yeah, we'd love him more at third. But that's just not the reality with Arenado there long term that Walker is still going to be an absolute stud. So I'm not worried at all about him moving to the outfield. No, and I think here's the other thing. Like, we saw the Andrew Vaughn effect where he played out of position and it hurt him. But Vaughn, I mean, so Vaughn's and Walker aren't similar as in where you can, I mean, we saw Walker and he was fine in the outfield. He played center field in the AFL and was fine. Yeah, he was so fine. So I'm not the least bit worried about Walker being, quote, out of position and affecting his bat at all. So it doesn't ding his value at all for me. The outfield's also a shallow place for fantasy. Yeah, there's a lot of high-end talent, but outfield drops off really quick for fantasy purposes too, especially in a five-outfielder league. So I do think that it leaves him in a similar spot. As far as opening day, I would think it would need a really good spring training for him to to get the opening day role and because the Cardinals have some options in the outfield. Right. I mean, Carlson's trending downward, which is weird. Like, Carlson may not even be a guy, like, so I'm pretty much avoiding him if possible. But I do think Walker will be up soon, and I don't think it affects his value. No, I, I don't either. You know, the, the next grouping here, you know, we, we, we'll we talk about Ellie over on shortstop, same with Gunner, but this next kind of three here, Vargas, Young, and Meade. So I was kind of like looking at these three as a whole and where I have them in my overall. Obviously, they're back-to-back -to -back here, but in my overall, you know, Vargas and Young are both like in that 11 to 15 range. And then I was looking at Curtis Meade and I have him. Oh, where do I put him in my overall right there? He's 38 overall right now. And I was kind of wondering like, hey, why do I have like a 25 ish spot gap between them? And I think you look at the profiles. I think they're pretty similar profiles. Like, you know, they both all three of these guys project to hit for a pretty solid average with, you know, good but not great power. You know, and maybe they add, you know, a handful of steals every year. So I feel like Meade hasn't quite, and I'm guilty of this too. Like, I feel like Meade quite hasn't gotten, you know, as much love as he probably should. And yeah, he's still considered a pretty good prospect all around, but maybe he's even being undervalued even by us. Like, maybe he should be closer to, you know, Vargas and Young. And yeah, those guys are obviously closer, more advanced, but it's not like Meade's in low A or anything like that. So I think Meade's a pretty, good value target right now given kind of his overall perceived value yeah i agree with that 100 percent. i haven't actually made the move to i dropped josh young a little bit and he's at 20 for me and curtis mead is at 23 so i have him pretty close i still have vargas a little bit higher maybe that maybe there needs to be an adjustment there and maybe that's something that i do need to make the switch for but overall I think they are fairly close. I mean, just you kind of look at the the breakdown, the numbers, and and Mead does stack up with them really well overall, like on a lot of metrics. Yeah, I could see him as a really similar hitter, which I think would be. So why? I guess the question is like, why do we value them so differently? And that's something that like I guess I needed to really kind of work through. Is like, does Vargas need to be dropped too? Do I need to move Mead up in that range? And I don't know. Like I'm still kind of working through that, but you're right. I I did make the like realization that I did need to drop Young closer to Curtis Mead because 
I definitely see the similar values there. Yeah, I just moved Mead up, still trying to figure out where, but he's definitely inside my top 30 now, probably closer to 20 because, you know, look at what Mead's done the last two years. And he's he's honestly, like, not even that far behind them. He got to AAA for about a month end of last year. And look at what he's done the last two years in 2021 between low A, high A, and AAA? What? Oh, that's probably end of the season thing. That was kind of weird. He slashed 321, 378, 533. 38 doubles, 15 home runs, and 11 steals in just 458 plate appearances. This past year, between AA and AAA, only had 331 plate appearances, but still racked up 27 doubles, 13 home runs, 7 steals, and a 298, 390, 532 slash line. So each of the last two years, OBP above 375, slugs above 500. He's a 306 career hitter in the minor leagues. And I think that's all legit. You know, I think he's. You look at the, you know, if I was just talking about what I think, you know, Curtis Mead's going to be, it'd probably sound pretty similar to when I was talking about Vargas or Young. I think he's going to be, you know, 280 ish type of hitter, maybe a little bit higher, maybe push 300 some years, and, you know, about 25 or so home runs and a handful of steals. That's basically the same as what I've been saying for the other two guys for the last, you know, year and a half, two years now. So, yeah, Mead, I think, is definitely undervalued. I just moved him up in my rankings too. He's definitely top 30. Maybe even top twenty. If I'm valuing the other two, top twenty, and I don't this, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. So I think I need to move Mead up, and maybe the others down a little bit too. But yeah, Mead definitely up for sure. He's interesting, man. He hits the ball harder than either one of those guys. So I don't know, like, man, maybe I need to drop Vargas too. Like maybe Vargas isn't a top ten prospect anymore overall, and maybe, and that's not say anymore but maybe he's just not a top 10 prospect overall. But I think that maybe all three of those guys could kind of push like around like the 20 overall spot. I think that's probably a fair point for him. Yeah, this is kind of what I, I like to call the accordion effect because <laughs> the, the accordion was stretched out too far yeah. on these guys. I think we need to like tighten the, you know, whatever. I know there's some probably some terminology for accordions. I'm not an accordion aficionado, but yeah, I think the, the rankings need to be tightened up a little bit there. So, yeah, we have the same top six here, which is that's pretty chalk. You know, I think you'll probably see similar top sixes around the industry. And then after that, it's when it gets kind of fun. And there's still a lot of fun guys in this range, too. Let's actually expand it a little bit here. Let's go with our 11 through 15. We'll add it to this part of our discussion because I think all these guys are, like, like we said, pretty much top 100. My 11 through 15 is Junior Caminero, Kobe Mayo, Warming Bernabelle. Colt Keith and Blaze Jordan. Chris, who was your 11 through 15? All right. So 11 is Christian Encarnacion Strand. Spoiler that had already been spoiled. Junior Caminero, Colt Keith, Zach Geloff, Yeti Cape, Mark Vientos, Justin Harris, who isn't a third baseman. So skip. That can that, that needs to be changed on my spreadsheet. I know he's not a third baseman. So Spencer Steer, Blaze Jordan, Warming Bernabel, and Eggy Rosario. Aggie. 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 Yeah, so then my 16 through 20 is Geloff, Yidi Capay, Mark Vientos, Davison De Los Santos, Aggie, and Spencer Steve. I'll say Aggie all day. I don't know. I just love saying that name. Yeah, call your Brett Beatty. It's like, there's still so many good names here. Like I said, the last one, it, Bernabelle and Keith are both, like, Mayo is definitely in my top 100. Bernabelle and Keith are both, like, kind of flirting with that 100 mark here. And so who knows if they'll be in or out, depending on where everything kind of settles. Once the dust is cleared from my big update, which will be out probably about a week or so, aiming for next Monday, June 9th on that. 
June 9th. Wow. January. I'm already I'm already fast forwarding <laughs> the midway through the season here. January 9th. I mean, you know, Bernabelle obviously was terrible out in the AFL. So he's a hard one for me to rank. I know you have him a little bit lower. I'm just trying to like balance what we saw there with what we saw with him the last two years in the minor leagues. It's hard. I think 2023 will be a big year for him. And same with same with Kobe Mayo. With Mayo, obviously the metrics are there. Performance is you know not been bad, but kind of hasn't matched up to you know what we kind of thought Mayo will be doing. We're still very young, so I think it'll be a big year for him. But I think a big big riser this year is going to be Junior Camarero, and I don't think people are talking about him enough. Maybe it's the Rays effect. Are the, are the Rays just like undervalued in general? I think they are because I think Tosh Bradley's still a bit undervalued. You already talked about Meade, Camarero. There's probably a f- you know a few more in that system. I think, I think there's a little bit of a stigma. You know, it's almost kind of similar to the Rockies. Like, like oh, where are these guys going to play? But Tampa Bay does play. Yeah, they do platoon some guys. But if you're good to be an everyday guy, they're going to play you. Like, I think Camarero could be an everyday guy. I think Meade absolutely could. So we'll, we'll see on them. But Camarero has all the makings of a guy that's going to be much, much higher this time next year. Like, you look at what he did the last two years here, especially in 2022. 2021, he did pretty well. Uh, this is back when he was still in the Cleveland org. Slash 295, 380, 534, eight doubles, nine home runs, and a very good walk-to-strikeout ratio in, in 43 games. In 2022, between rookie ball and low A, as an 18-year-old, slash 314, 384, 498, 11 home runs, 12 steals, only caught once. Walk rate around 9% and a K rate below 20%. So a lot to like there. We'll see how much speed he adds long-term, but I think this is going to be one of those kind of profiles like like with a Meade, with a Vargas, with a Josh Young, that the combination of hit and power is going to vault him up. And if he can give you a 5 to 10 steals on top of that, we'll see how the body fills out here. Still some projection on the frame. But yeah, I think Cameron Nero is going to be one of the biggest risers, not even that just this position, just in general in 2023 for prospects. I think so. And even the fact that he began and spent most, or at least half the season at 18 years old, I think speaks a, a lot of volume about you know how yeah. good he really was. And it's interesting to note that he is playing in the Australian baseball league right now. Like he's still getting more game reps. And while the stats aren't like eye popping or anything, he has eight home runs in 122 plate appearances. So like, the power is certainly there, and I just love that he's out getting more game experience. Yeah, I think that's awesome. But he hits the ball super hard. One of the higher average EVs last year for you know, people his age, which I think is encouraging. His 90th percentile exit velocity was extremely high. Actually, it was right on par with Curtis Mead and Josh Young. So you go. mentioned those yeah. names. like He could certainly pop into that range, too. And the contact skills are there as well. Like he makes really good zone contact. He doesn't strike out very often. He has good walk rates, pretty good swing decisions overall. And I think the biggest thing with him is the age. It's like what he did at his age is, is just makes it highly impressive. So, yeah, I think there's room for him to vault up and be a, a top 25 prospect, we'll say, by the end of next year. I think we could say that about several of these guys in this range. Because like you look at the top of the list, like there's going to be. This is going to be a very different looking top 10 at this time next year because Gunner is going to, you know, as long as he makes like six at bats this year, he'll graduate. Walker's going to graduate. Ellie, 
could graduate. We'll see. See how aggressive they are with him. I'll, I'll, I'll even say no with Ellie, but maybe he's only short some next year. But Vargas graduates. Young graduates. Mead, you know, again, maybe graduates. Well, let's say one of those two graduates. So there's one left. That'll stay on the list. Beatty graduates. Westberg probably graduates. So then, then we're getting down to the Collier, Mayo, and Carnacion Strand, Cameronero range. So there's a pretty decent percent chance that several of these guys are, you know, top five of this position, top 25, 30 overall. You know, I've, I love Encarnacion Strand a lot. You know, you know, he's probably moves over to first base long-term, but you know, if he can keep the, you know, swing and miss in check, I think he's going to be a beast of a middle leeward guy at Great American Ballpark. And we talked about Westberg and how underrated he is. So I guess he had the two here, Cam Collier, Collier. I keep saying Collier. I don't know why. <laughs> Cam Collier and Kobe Mayo here. Both, you know, obviously have plenty of upside with the bat, plenty of raw power as well, especially with, with Kobe Mayo. If you had to, I know you have him back-to-back, 9-10, Collier 9, and Mayo 10. I have Collier 10, Mayo 12. If you had to pick one of those guys to kind of money on jumping into the top 25 overall out of those two, which one would you take? Uh, if we're looking at top 25, then it's probably a Collier. When Mayo, I think, is probably a safe bet to go top 50 overall. But I'm not sure his, his skill set certainly like mean like is that of a, a top 25 prospect. No, it's it's possible. And I like Mayo a good bit. Like I wouldn't have him ranked here if not. But I think that Collier is just highly underrated with what he did. Like we're talking about a 17-year-old that played on the Cape Cod League, youngest Cape Cod League player ever. He went to Juco, like he graduated high school early and went to junior college and was playing at 17. So I think it's just pretty exceptional, like what all he did. And I think people are kind of like seem to be doubting a bit of of what he like did. But he's to me that the age, like that's a huge thing to reclassify that age. Like in Juco, like a talented Juco at that, he had a 15% whiff rate in a league that saw an average whiff rate of 29%, and 90% zone contact rate. Great swing decisions all around. He doesn't chase that often. He, I mean, we've already seen him top out at 108 exit velocity at 17 with a wood bat. So to me, like this looks at a player that's only going to grow. Like all the intangibles are there. He seems to have a really great work ethic and like to be a humble kid. So I could see Collier just really bumping up this year and taking that step and being a top 25 prospect. The upside's there with him. Dude, there's so many breakout guys in that Cincy. I think that Cincy org is like one of my favorites right now with with Collier, with Encarnacion Strand, with Edwin Arroyo, with Carlos Jorge. You know, so many fun players. Obviously, Ellie at the top. I'm saying with breakout guys that are more like back, you know, back half of the top 100. So, yeah, I, I think Collier is going to jump. I think Mayo. I'm just wondering, obviously, like there's no questioning Mayo's raw power. Zero question there. And I don't think he's going to be one that is affected that much by the new dimensions in left field. He's one of those guys that's going to hit the ball over that still. So I just wonder like where, and obviously he's not a guy that's probably not going to add a lot of speed. I know he's run a little bit here and there, but I just don't see him adding a lot of speed long term. Does the average end up? You know, obviously the metrics are, are pretty good with power. I just want to see where does that average kind of fall into. And even as, you know, 250 guy, you know, 30 home runs, that's he's probably got a better version of Ryan Mountcastle with more upside. So I think there's a chance he moves up for sure if he can kind of 
get back on track. And he's still, you know, pretty young for level as well. Burnabell, you know, we talked about him. Colt Keith, he's one that I think gets slightly underrated. I, I don't love the profile, Chris, but again, there's a solid, you know, blend of potential for hits and power here. I think Detroit Geyser's a bit undervalued as well. Again, he's the one that's kind of like flirting top 100 for me, you know, similar with Zach Geloff. I think he's in that in that similar range. Blaze Jordan, we talked about already. I think over at the, the first base spot, but I think Keith and jo- and Geloff. Where do you think those two could rise to? You know, maybe back end top fifty. I don't really see top twenty five with either, but those b- both those guys could still rise a little bit this year. Yeah, I think that they could push like the sixty to seventy range. I'm not sure That's how fair. high I'm willing to go on either of them, even though I like both profiles. Uh, there's good power there's good contact skills there's not really like i wouldn't say they're like standout skills like keith does hit the ball pretty hard so i think and he hits the ball consistently hard at that so i think that there is a chance that he taps into a little more power than geloff but the factor of playing in comerica just isn't ideal at all like we've seen how it's affected detroit hitters you know year over year so that's my concern with colt keith but I do like the profile a little bit more than Geloff and can see him maybe pushing like 60 and Geloff pushing like 70. So not too high, but there is, there's more room for growth. Yeah, I agree with that. And is Jordan, I think this would be a big year for Jordan as well. Like we talked about you know, his issues hitting, you know, high, high velocity and you know, some of the metrics are still good. Like he improved his approach. The raw power is there. He's got another one. Now, similar to Mayo, where I want to see, you know, that on-field production kind of tick up a little bit here for Jordan, more so the, you know, in-game power. He isn't really fully transitioned to that. So I think this would be a big year, you know, getting up to, you know, high A, maybe some double A as well. I think this could be a, a season where we see Jordan bump up into, you know, maybe back at the top 75, or I think he's a guy that could just completely fall outside top 200 or so, but. But we'll see. Any other names here that you see is kind of like having like make or break type of years here in 2023? Maybe like a Jacob Berry. Cause I don't know he's was just drafted, but I think there's a a wide kind of range of opinions on Barry, where the bat is. Yeah. I think he's one that could, you know, jump up again or fall way down. I, I know you're very high on Locklear and, and Kaden Wallace, and those types. Davison. What do we what do we see from Davison this year? A lot, a lot of make or break guys this year that that need kind of big years to really cement their status. Yeah, and I think my ranking of Jacob Berry probably it, it leaves a lot of room for growth. Like some people are already like top seven for FYPD, and like I'm nowhere near there at this point. Like his bad at ball data in low A was horrific. Like just so so bad. He makes yeah. good contact, but he just doesn't hit the ball hard at all. And I, I'm just not sure. Like what we are expecting out of him. His hard hit rate was terrible, like 23%. That's just not good. Yeah, even, not- even if you're making good contact, it doesn't matter if you don't hit it hard. So Barry will be one where, yeah, he can still drop more from where I have him ranked, but also like there is room for growth if we see it, but I just can't go that high on Jacob Barry and in FYPDs. I, I will just assume that I have zero shares of him. Yeah, same. Because just it's someone's always going to draft him just based on name value, like SEC, LSU, like Jacob Berry, like people are going to draft him. And that's not good either when you know, he doesn't provide any speed. So he needs both elements of the bat there, you know, being hitting for average, you know, getting on base 
and then hitting for power. And if, you know, if he's just a, you know, decent average guy that hits from, you know, you know, solid, but not great power, he's just not going to be that exciting with, without any speed element to his game. So especially if he ends up moving over to first base, which is a possibility here, played, you know, third base primarily or exclusively with a little bit of outfield in at LSU as well. If he does move over to first base, you got to need to hit for power. You're not going to be, you know, he'll be like an Eric Hosmer type over there, which as we all know, is not exciting whatsoever, but all right, let's wrap up the prospects here. We'll hit a break to get a word from our sponsor. Be back on the other side to talk dynasty. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Support for Fantrax Toolshed is brought to you by Manscaped, who is best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you 20% off and free worldwide shipping using the code Toolshed. The Performance 4.0 Package has arrived and it is a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner the performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and, dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. I'm blown away by the performance and craftsmanship of this trimmer. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower is also waterproof. It has a 4,000K LED spotlight that you need for your most precise shaves. And you thought that was good, but Manscaped wants to take your grooming game even further with the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer, which is also waterproof. It also provides the same proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in your delicate nose holes. The Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine. Manscaped will even throw in two free gifts in their performance package the Manscaped boxers, and the Shed travel bag. So bring your comfort in boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TOOL. All right, welcome back from break. Let's hop over to our Dynasty rankings now, starting with our top 10 for me. Let's do, let's do top 12. Because like I said, that's the one where it really falls off after that. So top 12 here. I have Bobby Witt Jr., who third base now. Who knows how long he'll keep that. Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, Austin Riley, Manny Machado at five. Gunnar Henderson, again, who knows how long he keeps it. Nolan Arenado, Jordan Walker, Alex Bregman, Miguel Vargas at 10. Then Josh Young and Jose Miranda at 11 and 12. Who you got, Chris? All right, so at the top, we'll start with Bobby Witt Jr., followed by Jose Ramirez, Austin Riley, Rafael Devers, Manny Machado, and 6 through 10 is Nolan Arenado, Gunnar Henderson, Alex Bregman, Jordan Walker, and Miguel Vargas. So, obviously, I think top two are you know pretty easy there, both top 10 guys overall. And then I think three through five is where a pretty interesting here. And I put out a poll, as I'm pulling it up now, from the Toolshed account as to being Machado, Riley Endeavors, who do people prefer? And right now it is 50% Devers, 31% Riley, and 19% Machado. And I'm not 
overly surprised by that. Obviously, Devers and Riley are the younger two there. But at the same time, I mean, how old is Machado? He's still under 30, isn't he? Yeah, he's he, close, if not. Oh, he is. Right. Okay, he did just go over 30. He'll be, you know, about 30 and a half to start the next season here. So do you think this is a case where Machado is still getting undervalued? Or do you think that's fair, given the fact that he's 30, Riley is 25 and a half, and Devers is 26? Do you think that's fair to that kind of percentage differential over there? Yeah, and I think in a... In a, in a win now case, like they all have pretty similar value, but yeah, if you're looking at a three to five year window, then it probably, I think that's probably fair, honestly. But you said Devers had the most by far, right? Yeah, he was 50%, and then Riley was 31%. That honestly surprised me a bit just based on like Riley's performance has been consistent. And I mean, I think he's been equally as good, if not better, than Devers. So I'm a bit surprised by that, but again, they're all three are very close, like overall value. So that I think does like, I think it's fair overall, but I I would personally prefer Riley as you heard me read, but again, it's close. I'm I'm going to pull up stats for, you want like that last two, let's look at the last two years or you yeah, think we should include 2020 as well. Yeah. Now let's, let's just go last two years, pulling up third base. He, it's, I'm curious. I want to see how stack up between Devers and Austin Raleigh, and thank God they're next to each other on this sheet here. So, all right, last two seasons. First off, Riley has only missed, what's that, five games the last two seasons. He's played 319 out of 324 games there, so that is very good. He has a 288, 358, 529 slash line. Devers, 287, 355, 530. Wow. That is basically the exact same slash line. Yeah. So Riley, yeah, so Riley, one point in average, three points in OBP, and one point to Devers in slug. Wow, that was very close. Home runs, 71 to 65 and for Riley, but it's pretty similar pace as Riley has about, what's that, 77 more plate appearances. Runs, four more to Devers. RBI, one more to Devers. Steals, whatever, eight to two Devers. Walk rate, 8.8% Devers, 8% Riley. K rate 20.1 Devers, 24.8 Riley. ISO 243, 241. Yeah, it's like WRC plus 139 to 137 for Riley. Woba 378 for Riley, 373 for Devers. They're basically becoming the same player. That's that's basically what it is now. (laughs) Coin flip. flip. I mean, the ages are right there too, correct? Yeah, I think Riley is like, like half a year younger than Devers. So. Yeah, he's 25 and a half. Devers has just turned 26. So I think I think a lot of this depends on like for right now, like I think I'm almost wondering too, is in my redraft rankings, and I'm not talking that, but I think I have Devers one spot ahead of Riley, but I'm wondering because they're basically becoming the same player. And for 2023, at least, Riley has the better supporting cast around him. Who knows where Devers is in 2024, whether it's still in Boston or gets traded or signs elsewhere after the season. But for 2023, short term, I think Riley gets actually the the nod here. So I got to switch that because similar player, you know, I think there's a hint more like pure ceiling with Devers. But if he's going to be look at the lineup that Riley has around him, he's going to have Albies and Acuna hitting, you know, in front of him. And that lineup is so good, you know, with Vaughn Grissom stepping in now too, 
and so many others, adding Sean Murphy, obviously, Matt Olson. It's just such a good lineup. And with Devers, it's like, all right, Devers is the man in Boston. And what, he has story? Who knows? Yoshida? Who knows? Yeah. You know, Cassis, like him, but who knows? It's like so many more question marks with Boston's lineup than Atlanta. So I think if you want short term, I think you got to go Riley. And I could see so go Devers long term. But yeah, that's pretty much a coin flip for sure. Yeah, very close overall. So you can't go wrong with either, I don't think. Yeah, and, and moving down a bit, I just moved Walker ahead of Bregman. I think they're both in, this, in a similar range. But it, the three that are very interesting here are Vargas, Young, and Jose Miranda. That's the other poll I put out from, I lied actually. Oh, yeah, right here. Well, I, I did it for prospects, Vargas, Young, and Marte, which I forgot to mention. That went 35% Vargas, 33% Josh Young, 32% Marte. I want to see how he fit in to the third base picture. But, yeah, I, I'm very, you know, if you miss out on one of the, you know, if you don't have one of the elite guys, I would definitely be looking to acquire kind of one of this trio. Like, Brandon, one of my you know, top redraft targets this year, if I miss out on that top eight or nine or so. I think long-term, they're all going to be pretty similar guys. Again, like, Guys going to hit for a good average, good but not great power. I think all these guys can kind of settle in. I don't see any of them ever getting up, you know, into that Devers, Riley, much the range, or even Henderson if he sticks at third or at least retains eligibility. But kind of going to stick as like back end, top 10, third baseman for a long time. I think they're very safe profiles. All three, all three have the ability to hit for average and have more power in the tank. So I, I'd be trying, if you don't have shares of like Joe Ram, Devers, Riley, who are looking to get, you know, shares of, of these three. Yeah, that's fair. I, I really like Miranda. I think Miranda is the one that's just going to kind of fly under the radar. Probably like yeah. he's not got the flashy name or reception, but I think he's the one you can probably get the cheapest and probably have the, the most value. So I'm, I'm all on board with that. If you can. Yeah, he's definitely the probably the lowest price point of these three here. The other one here I wanted to really see what, where you were on him. Is I'm, I still struggle to know where I want to put Bregman, you know, because he had obviously a great couple of years and he fell off a bit. Then last year kind of came back, not to the same extent, but he hit 259, 366, 454, 93 runs, 23 home runs, 93 RBI. So I don't know. You think... He's kind of what he is at this point. Guy that's going to be, you know, top 60, top 70, top 80 in that range. Obviously, he doesn't provide any speed, you know, anymore. Only one steal this past year, but, you know, pretty good in three categories. And, you know, the average, I don't know if he ever gets it up higher than really. You know, he's 277 for his career. So I, I don't want to be surprised. Well, first of all, do you think he can get back up to that level? I guess that's the question I'm trying to dance around here. Because he was 285 to 295. In 2017, 18, and 19. Since then, 242, 270, 259. Do you see him getting back into that range? He's flirting with 280, 290, and you know 400 OBPs, or do you think he's more this kind of 260, 270 guy we've said the last two years? Probably more of the average that we saw in recent years because we've seen him really put an emphasis on hitting fly balls. So he's hit more fly balls, and then in return, like he's just not going to run high as high of a Babbitt. Like you look at his BABIP the last three years, and he's gone 254, 286, 260. So that averages out to 268 for the three seasons. And the previous four years before that, 
his average Babbitt was 296. So he's kind of like, I guess, trying the intent to like pull those fly balls as best he can to like get every bit of his power that he can. It is interesting because we did see Bregman's max EV hit a new career high by nearly two miles an hour last year. So that's encouraging. His average EV stayed really similar to what he's done for his career. But that max, we've seen him get up a little higher, which, you know, max isn't a great stat. But when you do see a jump like that, I do think it has some kind of value to it. So with that being said, I think Bregman kind of is who he is. He's an elite contact hitter, which is good. Not really great when he's when you look at the little bit of line drives he is hitting. So I think he's got to find the happy medium between the two. Like he's either basically a, a ground ball or a fly ball right now. And I'd really like to see that push more towards line drives. I'd like to see the line drive rate push upwards of 20% like we've seen in those prime years. Ultimately, I think Bregman can be a 260 to 270 hitter with 25 home runs. But good OBPs. Like, I think the OBP is what you're really going to... His value boost is an OBP league. So, I think him and Walker are close. I think you said you have him above Walker. Yeah, I, I, just, I just moved Walker ahead. I had Bregman ahead by a few spots. I just moved Walker ahead. I mean, obviously, like we mentioned, probably moves off the position. But at this point, I was thinking, like, who would I rather have? You know, if, if I'm in a dynasty startup, I'm probably taking... If both of them are on the board, I'm probably taking Walker just because of we know what Bregman is. It, you know, it's good, but not great. and we know that Walker has the potential to be great and a pretty high floor as well. So I think I'd lean Walker at this point. I think that's fair in a startup because you are looking at Bregman, who is, he'll be 29 at the start of the season. So in a, in a straight startup, yeah, I can see that. I, I think that Walker definitely can provide similar average and then more pop and even speed. So yeah, I probably should adjust that ranking as well, though I do like what Bregman has to offer in an OBP league still. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely gets a nice bump there. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I tweeted about Brendan Rodgers earlier, so I was just thinking, if you take Bregman out of Houston, he's basically a slightly better Brendan Rodgers. Like, I, I don't see, you know, like, you look, you look at, Houston obviously has aided him a ton. Like, you put it, this is one of the bigger expected home run differentials you'll see. For him last year in Houston, was expected home runs was 33. Baltimore, nine. Wow. Which I don't, you know, take these with a grain of salt. They're not perfect, but that is a That's stark weird. difference, obviously. And you look at his spray chart, he did have two opposite field shots, which were probably just accidents, but everything else was pulled, obviously. And with the Crawford boxes being 315 feet away, you know, he said, what was his pull rate overall? Yeah, he said he's, you know, he's his he's fit his profile to his home ballpark, which is great because he said a pull rate above 42.5% each of the last five years, 45% last year. So I, I don't know how much longer he's in. How long, what's his contract up? How much longer is he in? Where did he sign that? I can't remember. I'm going to pull it up. Bregman here. runs through 2024. All right. So you get at least two years out of him there so you know maybe they resign him. i'm not even you know worried about that yet but i think he's one where he's gonna i think his, his profile is gonna be you know good for now and then if he leaves houston and he gets into his 30s he's not running at all i don't know that's why i'm like i like bregman nice bumping obp but 
he's just kind of meh for me now. And he leaves Houston after 2024. I think that he's going to drop a ton unless he revamps his batball profile a ton. Because you look at quality of contact has never been that great with him. It's been you know pretty much middle of the road, hard hit rates, you know, 35 to 40, you know, 30, he's never hit 40% hard hit, right? He 39.9 back in 2018, yeah, 2018. Obviously the approach is great, but barrel rate career high 7.6% of 7.3 last year. It's kind of middle of the road. And like Chris mentioned, even with the highest max EV of his career at 109.2, that was still only 51st percentile and he was 36th percentile in hard hit rate, 48th in average EV. So yeah, he's, he's not one, like I said, I don't mind the profile. He's just not one I'm really going to have any shares up because I think the perceived value of him is, is higher than I'm willing to go. I think people think he's more like top 50, and I'm, I just can't go there personally. Yeah, that's fair. I think he pushes top 50 in OBP, but average probably drops 30 spots at least. So I can, I can go either way on Bregman, I guess. But it, it'll be telling, I think, who he is this year. And we should know at this point, like based on what we've seen. But, you know, he's well cleared of all injuries at this point. And 2023 should just be a, a full healthy year. So you should know what he is like, I think, after this year. I, I, I want to see what he would look like outside of, of Houston. It's like, is he like 270, 15 outside of Houston? Yeah, that's weird to think about. <laughs> Which is to see what Brendan Rodgers is. Like, I hate the, I'm not comparing the two. It's obviously been, I said he's, he's still, a, he'd still be a better version of, of uh, Brendan Rodgers. I've never been a Brendan Rodgers guy ever, but. It's weird, like, if he ever leaves Houston, that value is going to tank hard. But, yeah. all right, let's move on past our top 12 here. Let's go, so to recap, top 12s for me were Witt Jr., Joe Ram, Devers, Riley, Machado, Gunner, Arenado, Walker, Bregman, Vargas, Young, Miranda for Chris, Witt Jr., Joe Ram, Riley, Devers, Machado, Arenado, Gunner, Bregman, Walker, Vargas, Young, Miranda. Let's go 13 through 30. Chris, who you got? All right. So at the top, Max Muncy, Brian Hayes, DJ LeMayhew, Alec Bohm, Vanio Suarez, Matt Chapman, Luis Urias, and Brett Beatty. That's through 20. 21 through 30 is Yohan Moncada, Josh Rojas, Ryan McMahon, Jordan Westberg, Cam Collier, Brendan Drury. Luis Renjifo, Christian Carnacion Strand, Toby Mayo, and Anthony Rendon. That's a fun name that hasn't done much for a while. <laughs> Raking in yeah, the big man. bucks. Is, is is he ever? Man, that's just another, you know, great thing by the Angels. And part of the reason why they are, you know, never making the playoffs anytime soon, even with Trout and Otani, which is sad. But yeah, this is the uh, remember I mentioned the lukewarm, the lukewarm corner. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is the lukewarm corner. So with me, I have so again thirteen through thirty. Keep Brian Hayes. I have Brett Beatty at fourteen. This is a massive cluster here, so they're all very close to my overall. You know, on the two ten to like two seventy five range or so. So keep Brian Hayes thirteen, Brett Beatty fourteen, and then Max Muncy, Alec Bohm. I have Rendon seventeen. I I don't know. It's just one where I'm like, all right, he still could be a good bat, and all these names around him are also kind of meh. But he's one that I probably should bump a bit lower and probably will before my next update. For, for right now, he's 17, but that's probably going to change. Brandon Drury, Christopher Morrell, Yohan Moncada at 20. Again, another one where 
I don't, I just don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to rank him anymore. I'm just tired of ranking Mikado because he's just, <laughs> he's just been so you know bad. He had that one good year in 2019, I think it might have been. Since then, he's just been so bad. DJ LeMahieu, kind of steady Eddie, old dude. You know, always kind of giving you solid value. Matt Chapman, never been a huge Chapman guy. I have Encarnacion starting at 23. Westberg and Eugenio Suarez at 25, which I probably could bump Suarez up. He's giving you power, kind of rejuvenizing that Seattle lineup. I, I'll move him higher. That's probably a bit too low. Luis Urias, Josh Rojas, Kobe Mayo, Ryan McMahon, and Luis Ranjifo round out my top 30. Man, Chris, this is, again, gets kind of sketchy pretty quick here, but there are some fun names in here, some more so some bounce back names. Like I think Muncie, you showed end of the year, he started getting back to the Muncie we knew, you know, pre-2022. So hopefully another offseason of rest, he can go into 2023 healthy and get back to like that 35 home run guy with a good OBP and an average that, while not great, won't kill you either. Do you still have confidence in keep Brian Hayes? And I have him at 13, you have him at 14. At this point, how how long are we going to wait for the haze that we all thought could be there that he's shown very, very small glimpses of? What, how long are we going to wait for him to get there until we really move him down our rankings? I don't know, because I think he's a tweak away from being really good. His average EV is stellar and good max. Like He hits the ball hard, but it's just like hard into the ground. So it's like kind of the Vlad problem, obviously without the the Vlad power. So I just wonder if he can get the launch angle up. He, we did see the ground ball rate drop last year from 2021 by about seven percentage points, more than seven percentage points, which is pretty significant. And he upped the line drive in fly ball rates, but his hard hit rate was not as good. Therefore, he didn't benefit at all from it. Despite hitting the ball so hard, he didn't hit it consistently hard. And it's weird because he like just doesn't hit line drives and fly balls hard. He hits the ground balls hard. Like those are the ones that's hitting the hardest. So I need to pull up the an exit velocity leaderboard and see, like just based on line drive and fly balls. And I bet that his is just not good at all. Let's see. Because oh, there's no way it can be. No, I mean yeah, so he's his average overall was 91, which is good. But his average on fly balls and line drives was 93, which is like the names around him are, are Lane Thomas, uh, <laughs> Heimer Candelario, Tyrone Taylor, Rudnit Odor, Max Kepler. Just like, well, uh, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be around Rudnit Odor on any list. That's just never a good thing. Right. So that ranked him 130 on line drives and fly balls. But his overall average EV ranked him 39th. Like, it literally tied with Juan Soto and Corey Seager. Like, it's just a weird, perplexing profile. He makes really good contact. His zone contact is, like, upper echelon elite. But there's just not the production that we want to see. And I can't quite grasp, like, why. Other than he hits the ball on the ground too much and he just doesn't hit the ball hard in the air. Do I think that that can be fixed? Like, absolutely. And the fact that he can steal from third base position is huge. But, like, where does the average settle in then? Like, I thought Cabrian Hayes is going to have, you know, much better batting averages than this. So, I don't know. Like, he's hovering in this range for a reason because there 
is some upside and he's still young. Like he'll be 26 to start next season, but we need to see something like another year of this. And like, he's just no longer a thing anymore. And I'm afraid that's what, what might happen with him. Just a make or break year. I think for Cabrian Hayes, 26 season. Let's go. Yeah. Like yeah. Age 26 season. Like the approach has been very kind of consistent, you know, right around eight, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine percent walk rate. K rates right around 21, 22 percent. But, and yeah, you know, like I said adding 20 steals, if he can keep that going, like sprint speed isn't the greatest, but he shows that it, no, it's, it's okay. But he's showing the willingness to run. That's always a huge thing. And I don't know why Pittsburgh would, would let him stop at this point because, you know, why it's Pittsburgh. But quality of contact, again, pretty good. You look at the hard hit rate, 46.8%. But like you mentioned, everything's into the ground. And I said, I said a quick, quick filter here. So there was only one hitter last year with a hard hit rate above 45% and a barrel rate below 5%. Key Brian Hayes. That shows that, you know, his launch angle was right around four degrees. That, you know, he'll have his, you know, those hard hit balls. That's why his, his max EV and overall EVs are, are pretty good. But everything into the ground, that's just not going to get it done, like Chris said. So that's why I'm still holding out hope that if that can be fixed, he can get the barrel rate up, the launch angle up, start driving the ball in the air more consistently. Like, what was his ground ball rate? You know, still, even though he improved it about 8%, it was still 49.6%. And that's just way too high for his profile look at some similar batters to Hayes according to the baseball savants for his batted ball profile none of these you know are going to inspire any confidence 2022 Cal Mitchell 20 oh, these are all 2022 guys I'm actually Vimeo machine I can't even say that name right Cesar Hernandez Matt Duffy and then 2021 David Peralta yeah that's not inspiring any confidence there whatsoever but he gets that power up gets the average up along with it I still think he could be, you know, 260 to 270. At this point, even if he gets the power up, Chris, where do you think he could get it to? Like 20 home runs, 25? I don't even know if 25. Like that would be a massive correction, but I think he could get up near 20. And if he keeps that speed first of 2020 with a decent enough average, I think he could get, you know, up a few spots. But is he even top 10 then, given the names ahead of him, though? Well, if he goes, so let's say he does up the home run total to 20, like that's probably an additional 13 hits. Like he had seven last year. So like, I'd say that's easy 13 more hits just because the amount of fly balls he hits. So that average is bumping up pretty significantly. Yeah, and if you get 20 put, steals. Yeah, sorry, that'll put his average at, no quick math here. So that'd be 136, 269. Okay. I mean, 270, 2020, that's respectable. But you know what's crazy? He had 41 RBI last year in 560 <laughs> play appearances. That's, that's so. Did and, any full time player have less RBI than Cabrian Hayes? Hold on, let me. So I sorted it to 500 play appearances because that's where he was. Let me see. Hold on. Let me go over to standard here. I can't imagine. Uh, maybe Miami because if anybody, would be somebody somebody on, on Miami. Holy cow. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that. Oops, I ordered by. Hold on, let me just get back. Just, just one year. Huh? There are some. <laughs> oh, really? Is, I did it by five hundred fifty because Hayes had five sixty, okay. and Miles Straw had thirty two RBI over five hundred ninety six <laughs> plate appearances. Oh, Caesar Hernandez had thirty four. So those are the only two worse than him. But dang, no Marlins. That's bizarre. 
if you do it on the 500, that's when Miguel Rojas comes into the picture. How many he did he have? 36, and he had 507 plate appearances. And then Jonathan Scope, 510 with 38, and Geraldo Perdomo. He got 500 plate appearances last year. Wow, I didn't think he had that many. And he had 40 and 500 exactly. So yes, those are the only ones below him. Some of the ones right above him, Hunter Dozier, J.P. Crawford, Adam Frazier. Yeah, all guys that don't have as much power as as Brian Hayes potentially could. So let's say that happens. Let's say he makes these changes. Does he get ahead of that trio in front of him that we just talked about, the Vargas, Young, Miranda trio? Does he get ahead of them into that trio? How high do you think that would put him overall? Oh, I think it's hard to say right now until we really see these guys perform in the majors. I think that I think we could argue that it puts him close, but the other's upsides is is higher, in my opinion. So those other guys could fall off when they debut too, which is could be interesting to follow. But you, you look at Miranda's profile. I mean, what is what does Miranda do? He's twenty five home run bat, hits two seventy without much speed. So then then you're looking at like if Hayes is a twenty twenty, which is let's let's make sure we specify that that's a long shot for Hayes yeah, to become a twenty twenty bat and hit two seventy. Yeah. But if he did, like I think it probably pushes him above Miranda because I'll take a little dip in the home run totals to get the stolen bases. Like that's what really gives Hayes values and very few third basemen can steal like he can. So I don't know. It could be interesting to see. Yeah. But I, I think he's a overall, I think he's a buy low right now. Is I think there's still a chance he can get get that value up a bit. You know, the two guys I'm buying low here are him. And like I, said, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, Max Muncy. You look at from August 1st until the end of the year. Now he's a bit older. That could play into your advantage, too. I think Muncy is, given the overall production from last year and the age, I think he's going to be a pretty cheap acquisition for in Dynasty Leagues this offseason. Look at what he did from August 1st on. Again, he was back to the Muncy of old in 226 plate appearances, 247, 358, 500. It's a 253 ISO, 13.7% walk rate, 24.8% K rate, 12 home runs, 37 RBI, and 20 scores. So you got, you know, 100-ish RBI pace and 80 to 90 runs. And again, he's going to be still in that Dodgers lineup. It's still going to be very good. So I am getting all the shares I can because he's the type of guy in the win-now mode. You should be doing everything you can to get Max Muncy given the, the probable price tag he's going to cost you because Still a potential, you know, top 10 caliber player at this position until the the young guys get up here and get established. And he's going to be so cheap given the age and the production from last year. I hope people don't look at August 1st on because then the road is, hey, Muncy is back to being the very steady contributor that he was before the season started. Yeah, I think it's a prime time to get Muncy because he'll probably start the year and be a solid bat and then the value is only going to go up. So I'm, I'm in on Muncie. I think it's a, a really good buy and redraft and probably even better in dynasty just because the age, like you mentioned, I still think there's plenty to like in, in the bat, especially in the OBP league. And man, I am, I'm all about getting max Muncie in, in all formats, I think. Yeah, for sure. Now, looking at this kind of range of our rankings, Chris, any other, any other guys you're looking to buy? Cause there's, you know, a lot of other potential buys, guys that had down years like 
you know, like Moncada, like like Urias, those types of guys. Anybody else you're looking to, even Rendon, that you're looking to buy right now in Dynasty Leagues? Oh, it kind of, I don't know. Like, it may be crazy, but Moncada had an interesting end to his season. And I don't want to, like, jump back in and say, like, okay, he's going to be elite. He's not. Like, just look. And, I mean, in the last two seasons, he's only gotten 26 home runs over 1,049 plate appearances with a 241 average. So, like, I'm not expecting, like, significant positive regression for Moncada. But I do think what we saw in the stretch, like, was good. At least, like he hit five home runs and stole two bases in the final 109 plate appearances, and he hit 252. Like, while that's not great, like that's improvement, and that that spans out to 550 plate appearances, gives you a 25 home run bat, 10 steals, and a a decent average, like an average that won't kill you. So, if we get that Moncada all year, then I think that there could be some some positive returns on him. So. Interestingly enough, I think he is one that I could buy in on. If I'm honestly like, this is another topic, but selling, like, I may look to sell Josh Rojas because they've talked about him being like a utility player. And with all the talent coming up, like, Rojas may just lose like all playing time. And that's kind of my fear with him. And if that does happen, like, his value is going to tank really quick. So. I may look to cash out on Josh Rojas in a dynasty league if you could, because there's always somebody going to be looking for speed. And while there hasn't been a solid update recently, like in the mining the news article from Jeff Zimmerman on October 18th, he noted that Rojas was likely to be used as a bench player. The quote is Rojas is a productive hitter, but he's not quite a great defender anymore. Rather than penciling him as an everyday third baseman, the Diamondbacks are likely to continue to deploy him as a multi-positional option off the bench, living with a poor defense at various positional plugs into the lineup less every on a less everyday basis. And since then, I mean, the D-backs have made some moves. So Josh Rojas may have a spot. And that's my fear. So I may, I may cash out on it if I could. Yeah, I was going to mention him, too, because with the trade getting Gabriel Moreno there and the recent signing of Evan Longoria, and I don't think Evan Longoria is an everyday third baseman anymore. He's definitely not. But they got to get those guys in the lineup somehow, and there's going to be a lot of you know Longoria at DH. Got to get Moreno at DH you know, a good amount as well, so that could probably push Longoria to third. So I still think Rojas has some value. Like That speed will definitely help. And I think the average is, you know, pretty fair, 260, 270 in that range. Obviously, there's not a lot of power in the profile. So, but do you see him getting more than the, you know, he had 510 point appearances last year? I don't see him getting more than that. If anything, it's maybe a little bit less, probably, you know, that four to 500 range. So, so, so a value, but yeah, I still don't see the value going up with Rojas. It probably goes down. But on the flip side, one guy that I am kind of, Digging a bit here. I think people are kind of wondering is was his season this year for real? And that's Brendan Drury. No, I think the the landing spot, you know, he'll probably play a lot of second base there, but still, I think he still could re- retain third base, obviously with Rendon being very, very frail over there at the hot corner. But I think a lot of what Drury did was, you know, 
for real. Do I think he's going to be a great guy going forward? Now he's already 30 years old, but do I think we could see a, you know, close to a repeat of last year? Sure. He had 263, 320, 492, 28, 87, and 87 with, with a couple of steals thrown in. Barrel rate went up over 10% last year. Average EV wasn't great, but above league average. And hard hit rate's been over 42% each of the last two years. I think this would be a good spot in that lineup. He probably hits, where do you think he's going to settle in with the Angels there? Fifth or so? Let's see, where does Rush Research have him? Just to check it out. They have him sixth. If I can see him hitting fifth, and they have Renfro fifth, but even at sixth, that's you know a good amount of RBI opportunities. That top two-thirds of the Angels lineup could be pretty good if everyone's healthy. I know, big if, but I think Drury is a, a sneaky good add, too, for just for a, a contending team. If you're rebuilding, probably not, but he's have dual eligibility this year, second and third, which also means corner and middle infield, which is awesome. So that's really quad eligibility there. So I think I think Drury is a kind of a sneaky buy right now in Dynasty Leagues. Yeah, not to mention, like, I think that he probably hits at a really good point in this lineup. Now, if you look at roster resource, they have him sixth, but I'd bet it's highly possible that he could bump up in that lineup. Like, oh, for sure. And be in a really attractive spot. Like, he could even be between Trout and Otani. Like, I think their best lineup is probably, they have Ward, like, slated to lead off. High OBP guy makes sense. I think Ward, Trout, Drury, and Rendon are probably, not Rendon, sorry, Otani at four would be the best bet. They've got Rendon penciled in the four spot, but he's just, he's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, are, we, are, we, are we really banking on that? I'm yeah. not. Drury, like you said, he did a lot of things that lead me to believe that he can sustain those gains that he made. I mean, the zone contact with him has always been good. He's been a good contact hitter, and the power really blossomed this year. Well, well why? Like, what happened? Well, he did hit the ball hard enough, like, respectively hard. We saw the max EV take a step forward and his average EV stayed similar. He made it work. He just barreled more balls because he ultimately had a better launch angle. So because of that, we saw the barrel rate go to 10.4%. And he just, like you said, hit the ball hard in the right zones. Hard hit rate was over 40%, which isn't a surprise. He also pulled the ball a little more, which played up to his home runs. So I'm looking at, Obviously, he did benefit from from Great American. Like that's a huge thing. We know he was traded. How did he? How did the numbers look in L.A.? L.A. I think we often don't think of it as a hitter's park, but I do think it plays up as a hitter's park. And yeah, maybe you can say those numbers are a bit skewed because you look at two guys that have been there in Trout and Otani, but ultimately. Like, I'm not particularly worried about it. Like, okay, so for right-handed hitters, I filtered it. For home runs, the Angels Stadium plays for the seventh-best park factor over the last three years. Now, yeah. Great American is the best by far, but Angel Stadium is still a good hitter's park. So I think Drew will be fine, like you said. And I think that he could probably be a buy in Dynasty League, and I'm probably a bit low on him where I have him at 26. Like, that probably needs an adjustment because I think Drew... And the important thing to remember here, because it feels like he's been around forever, he just turned 30. It feels yeah. like he's been around so long, but he's not old. Like, he's, he's still got plenty left in the tank. So, yeah, I, I think Drew's a good buy for 2023. Yeah, do I think he's at a you know, 100% repeat last year? No, probably not. But can he be, you know, 
255, 260 with, you know, 23, 24, 25 home runs and solid counting stats. Yeah, I think he could. So I think he's a definitely a sneaky buy in Dynasty Leagues for sure. Last but not least, any do you have any hope for Alec Bohm anymore to be more than what he is now? So I was looking like even he started hitting better second half of the year, but, you know, he hit 285. Oh, that's cool. But still, power, second half of the year, 124 ISO, 409 slug. You know, the walk rate was below 5%, but the K rate was below 15. So you think he's kind of more just like a, you know, 275, 280 type with, I don't know, 15 home runs, kind of like that boring type there. Do you, do you have any any hope for more power from Bohm at this point? Well, he's also like Hayes. He hits the ball hard. Doesn't hit the ball as hard as Hayes, which is interesting. Like his max EV and average EV are lower than Hayes. So I do find that interesting. He also has a ground ball problem, but like Hayes, he lowered it by six percentage points last year. In the process, I think that's why we saw the batting average take a jump, despite his BABIP taking a, a dip. So he just put more balls in play, ultimately. From 2021 to 2022, we saw Bohm cut the strikeout rate by nearly 10 percentage points. He also cut the walk rate. Like, he was walking less than 5%, which isn't good, but we did see more balls in play, which ultimately led to some counting stats. I don't think we see Bohm, like, have a huge power breakout. I do think Bohm's a good average hitter. But ultimately, like, where does that land him? I think maybe he can get to 17 or 20 home runs. But I'm not sure there's much more than that, which is kind of odd, but it's just really who he is at this point. He doesn't yeah. pull the ball enough. Like, he's hitting too many balls to center into the opposite field with a low pull percentage. So naturally, like, that's just hurting his output. So I think he is what he is to an extent, but there is a bit of room for growth. Yeah, I don't think there's a, a lot of like I said, I don't think I don't think he ever gets 20 home runs. So he's like good, but not great power. And the launch angle actually doubled, almost doubled from 2021 to 2022 up to 5.6 to 10.4 degrees. But even then, it was still only 13 home runs over 631 play appearances. So maybe there's a little more, but I think he's a solid average guy. He's kind of turning into like, I don't know, modern day, what DJ LeMayhew was like 10 years ago or something like that, where you think there should be more power in the profile, but there's just really not. And so at this point, yeah, he's he's solid. He'll he'll help you, you know, in average. And then, you know, be and a little bit of power and solid enough counting stats won't run a much. So he's like a okay four category guy, but. I'm kind of, I'm losing hope that there's ever any more power without a significant kind of approach change there. And even the walk rate's been trending down 9%, 7.5%, down to 5%, which, you know, isn't terrible. He's putting balls in play. But, yeah, I think this is kind of what he is, kind of a 280-15 type with about 150 combined runs in RBI. And that's fine. If, if you value him and that's what you need at that point in your draft or for your dynasty team, great. But I'm, I'm kind of done expecting some big jump maybe a, a minor jump like you mentioned chris but i'm done with with bowman i think i don't think i'm gonna have any shares with him at all let's let's see falls further than i think he's going to but all right that's going to wrap up this episode thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode we hope you enjoyed it join us again next time but until then everyone take care
MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion?